question to start. Does anybody know what the highest amount for Purell hand sanitizer was sold for on Amazon? You, you can talk to me. I won't tell Pastor PJ. Let's talk. Let's talk. How much? 500? What else? So we're talking about the little, the little two ounce, the one that can go in your pocket. On Amazon, how much was it sold for? How much? 1K. 1K. Wow. Quantities? Two, a two pack for the two ounces. 39 bucks. All right. Enough of the guessing. $400. $400, Amazon was trying to sell the two-ounce pocket hand sanitizers at one point. And I imagine a few of them got sold, which is ridiculous, right? Ridiculous. When we think about normal times, it was under, what, eight bucks to get that? And they were charging $400. What was even more ridiculous is some of the marketing that they have on the hand sanitizer. And one thing that you'll see on just about every bottle of hand sanitizer is kills germs up to 99.99%. Kills germs up to 99.99%. And the reason that's ridiculous to me is because it's like, well, well what's up? Can I get the, the .01? Like, let's just finish this off. And, and what, what do you mean it kills more than 99.99%? Isn't that 100? I'm not a, a math major here, but work with me. That's 100%, right? But it's not to them because they can't claim 100% because if something goes wrong, then their company is liable. And so that, that 0.01% could mean a wide variety of things. And so to us as a consumer, it almost looks like perfection. It almost looks like it's going to give us everything that we need. To them, if something goes wrong, then they can say, hey, that was that 0.01% that we told you it wouldn't be there. So it's one thing to have 99.9% when we're talking about germs or, or getting sick, things that are, you know, for the most part, temporary. But when we're talking about eternal life, Eternal life, we need something 100%. We need something that we can bank on, that, we can, that can be guaranteed for us for eternal life. And more importantly, we need to have an understanding as people reading the word and reading this gospel that we have the right interpretation of that 100%, and we're presenting that 100% the right way. So... I, what I want you to, to understand tonight is I want you to know that the gospel is the most important, the most powerful message that we can have. And the reason being is it applies to every single human being that walks the face of this earth. And it, it implies that every single human being that walks the face of this earth has to respond to that gospel. And you have to respond in a way of either 100% or zero. When it comes to responding to the gospel, there's no 99.99% that doesn't cut it. It's either 100% in for Jesus Christ or you're zero. Or you're zero. That's it. I want you to do me a favor right now. Look down on the ground. 
Look down. Don't look at me. Look down. So look down on the ground, and within this black asphalt, there's these little white specks. I want you to fixate your eyes on one white speck and point to it. Point to that one white speck that you have your eyes on right now, okay? And you can name that speck, whatever. You can write your name on it, whatever you want to do. But when you look at that one speck, now look up and look around. You see how much black asphalt is around here? Well, that one little white speck that you just pointed out, that represents your life. And all of this asphalt, this black asphalt that's out here, let's not stop here. Let's go out to Orange County. Matter of fact, let's go out to California. Let's go out to the United States of America. Just picture all of the black asphalt that's out there. Our lives represent that one little white speck that you were looking at. And so when you think about this gospel message, that one message that we have in the gospel dictates where we're going to spend the rest of eternity, which again, in our illustration, is the rest of the black asphalt all across America. One message. That's how important this gospel message is. That's how important it is that we understand it and we rightly interpret, interpret it because there are a, a hundred, a thousand of false gospels that are out there that the world will continue to feed you to make you think that, you know what, that one sounds a little bit better than the one that I heard of. But we can't take that one. We got to focus on the one that is God-given, the one that we find in the Bible. And that's what I want to do for us tonight. So by the time we walk out of here tonight, my prayer is for you to have the right understanding of the biblical gospel, exactly how it is in the Bible. And if you already had that and you responded to that and you're a believer sitting here today, then I want you to have the right understanding and be able to present the gospel the right way according to the Bible. Because you see, we can easily get it twisted and we can easily get you know, 0.01% off and that leads to a life of destruction, eternity destruction. So it's so important that we get this right. And I want to make sure that we walk out of here with this right so that whenever all of the false gospels come that the world has to offer because they got a lot and you face them every single day, you're going to be able to pinpoint out and say, hey, that's not right because I know the one true gospel that dictates eternity. So go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10 this evening. Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 10. So the context here is we have what we call the, the Judaizers. So the Judaizers were a group of Jewish legalists, a lot of Pharisees, that they followed Paul around. So where Paul would go around and plant these new churches and he would give them the one true gospel, they would come in behind Paul and say, you know what? Paul had most of it correct, but let me add a few other things on there that have to do with the Mosaic law that you need to do in order to be saved. So there, there's this face-off that we're here in Galatians chapter 2, because the church of Galatia has now encountered these false teachers that have come in, and they're telling the people that Paul has already preached the gospel to, hey, I, I get what Paul said, but there's a few other things that you need to do. You need to be circumcised. You need to, have these you need to follow these dietary laws. You need to do the things that we, 
as Jewish Pharisees and Judaizers do in order to be saved. So they're adding more to it. Well, we, we encountered this face-off where Paul is coming back to them saying, I'm going to prove to you that I have the one true gospel. And the Judaizers saying, Paul doesn't have the right gospel. So something has to give here. And Paul is sharing with the church of Galatia why his gospel is true. And those false teachers, the Judaizers, are not true. And he's going to use the, the very same people that the Judaizers look up to to prove the point. So let's pick it up in, in verse 1. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. That's a big deal there. We're going to address Barnabas and Titus. It says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, parenthetical phrase, though privately before those who seemed influential. So those who seemed influential is Peter, James, and John. So when we think about the, the apostles that were the closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, when we talk about the influential. And it says, the rest of it says, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So it were vain without purpose. So, so Paul is going and meeting them in private, he says, before just to make sure that he has the right gospel. Paul is confident in his gospel, but he wants to align because this, this, is a, this is a critical point in time. He wants to align with them to make sure that, hey, we got everything that I'm presenting and that the gospel that you know about, we're on the same page here. There's not any slight variance between the two of us. So he met with them before. It says, verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission. Even for a moment, we didn't yield. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, remember Peter, James, and John, Paul says, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. So they added nothing to the gospel that Paul was presenting. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, again, parenthetical, verse 8 says, for he, the Holy Spirit, who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry, to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, who is Peter, so just to address that real quick, Cephas is Aramaic for rock. So the word Peter in the Greek means rock. So Jesus called Peter, another name was Cephas. So whenever you see Cephas, it's, it's Peter. It's not a new person. So James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was e eager to do. So that's a lot we just absorbed. So let's break it down a little bit. Let's, let's take a look at the first three verses and let's chop this up um, into smaller pieces. So verse one, uh, Paul starts out and says, 14 years. So after 14 years, what is that all about? So 
if you take a look back in chapter 1 across the page, verse 18 says, then after three years. So the, the three years is talking about the three years since Paul was converted. And then he's going back to Jerusalem. So now we're talking 14 years on top of the three years. So this is 17 years, give or take, after Paul's conversion that this, this conversation with the three apostles to determine what gospel he was preaching was true is happening. So we're 17 years post his conversion. And then he talks about Barnabas and Titus. You see, Barnabas was an important person to have because he was a Jew and he was one of the first people to basically say, hey, Paul, Paul's a good guy. Paul's presenting the right gospel. Paul is, is saved. He, he's one that's on our side. So he presented somebody that Paul could take alongside of him as a traveling companion that people would say, okay, Barnabas is, is saying Paul is okay, so Paul must be okay. The difference here is Titus. So Titus is a Gentile, but Titus is a believer of Jesus Christ. But the thing here with Titus, if Titus is coming around, that's a big deal amongst all Jewish people. Because the Jewish people are going to look at Titus and say, hey, you don't belong here. You're a Gentile. You're not one of us. You're not God's chosen people. But Paul, throughout his ministry, shares the gospel with Gentiles. He goes out to the the uncircumcised and presents the gospel. So having Titus there is a big deal, and it's sort of a distraction for the Jewish people because He's not supposed to be there in their eyes. But Titus represented exactly what Paul's ministry was all about, is sharing the gospel with those that were outside of the Jewish religion. And then we get in verse 2, it says a revelation. Verse 2 starts off, it says, I went up because of a revelation. So Paul wants the the church of Galatia to understand, look, I, I didn't go to meet Peter, James, and John because I had my doctrine all messed up and I needed to go get it cleaned up or I needed to make sure I had the gospel right. He said, I had a revelation from God. God told me to go to Jerusalem for a reason, not to get my gospel cleaned up, where the Judaizers are telling people, telling the Galatian church, hey, the reason that Paul's going to meet them is because his gospel is distorted. He needs to get it cleaned up. So again, we have this face-off between these two parties right here. But Paul wasn't going to get it cleaned up. See, Paul knew the gospel and knew it well. Paul experienced the gospel, and he preached the gospel. And he had a great understanding of the gospel, just like you and I need to have today. And so we need to know the one true gospel. And that's our first point this evening, is know the one true gospel message. Know the one true gospel message. You see, if you don't know the one true gospel message, how are you ever supposed to know if you have a fake one that's in front of you? P-S-R-U. I want you to write that down. P-S-R-U. And this is going to help simplify the gospel. So the P is we all have a problem. We have a sin problem. Every person that's walking this earth, every person that's born is born into sin. So immediately, we were separated from God. We have a sin problem. That S is, there's a solution, though. There's the good news of the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ came and lived a life that you and I cannot live. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified. He was killed on the cross. But he didn't stay there. He rose up. 
and he defeated death so that we, if we're believers, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we repent from our sins, we can now have the perfect life that we can live from Jesus Christ. And he takes all of the punishment that we deserve. He took it on the cross already. So there's this great exchange that we have. But the R is there's a response that we have to have. And that response is we have to turn from our old self. We have to repent. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repent from our sins. And you either have done that and you are saved or you haven't. 100%, 0%. There's no, well, I'm thinking about it. Give it more time. I need more studying to do. If you're caught in that, then you're at 0%. So how do we do that? We need to study the word. We have to be in the word. Studying the word. Don't assume. Don't create your own religion. Don't create your own gospel based on your feelings. That's what the world tends to do. And it's silly to think about it. I mean, think about it for a second. If you're taking a final exam, okay, and you have your professor say, this is going to be the hard hardest final exam that you're going to have. And this is going to dictate whether you graduate college or not. But you know what? I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to help you out. It's going to be an open book final exam. You'd be like, sweet, open book, right? I got the answers. I might have to search for them, but I got the answers. It would be silly to say, you know what? Thanks, professor. I'm going to try it on my own. This is going to dictate whether I graduated college or not. I'm going to try it on my own. I know I can open the book, but I'm going to try it on my own. You would say that's silly, right? But that's what God has given us. He's given us the manual to this life. He's given us the answers to all the tests. They're here. What we have to do is open it up and read and study and know the word that he's given us that gives us eternal life with him. It's an open book test. We have the open book. But we can't be lazy about it. We have to know it and know the gospel. If we don't know the gospel, we allow the false gospel just to slip right in. When I was in college, uh, Chelsea and I first started dating. Within the first year, um, Christmas came around. You know, it's first year, we're starting to date. And it's like, hey, I got to get the perfect gift for her. I want to show her that, you know, I, I love her, that... I, I know what she likes, and I want to make her happy. So I think I did well on my gift. I'll tell you, I don't, even, I don't remember what it was, but I think I did well on it. Uh, Chelsea, she went and got me a gift. Um, my favorite shoes were Jordans. So all through high school, I would have, I loved to have Jordans. I stopped buying Jordans as an adult because they cost well over $100. I'm not doing that with my money. Uh, so my parents would buy Jordans, so I would take them, right, and buy them. But I had a favorite pair of Jordans, and some of you might know this. Some uh, others just like, I don't know what you just said, but they were patent leather Jordans. And they were my favorite pair. I knew everything about them. I think I might have had two or three pair. But the thing about Jordans is they, didn't, they weren't always available. They would cycle through everything, and then there would come a point in time where they would sell them again, and then they would go away. So you couldn't get them unless you bought them from somebody. Well, Chelsea wanted to to get me a gift that I would obviously like, found some Jordans online. So she buys them to me, and uh, it was during winter break, and she brings them, and she was like, hey, here's your gift, and I open it up, and I'm like, oh, a box of Jordans. 
awesome. So the Jordan, the label on the outside said black and red Jordans. When I opened up the box, they weren't black and red. They were a different color. So I was like, all right, you know, different box, different shoe. Uh, But one thing I knew about Jordans, I knew the real ones. And there was a, a few things that were off about these. A lot of the Jordans were stitched on. They had the Jordan logo stitched. This was ironed on. Right? A lot of the Jordans were sort of you know, right above the ankle. These were like low tops. I'm like, what? These are kind of weird looking. Um, and then when I tried them on, they didn't have the same feel. But I remember her telling me, I got a great deal. I got them for like 75 bucks. Red, red flag, that doesn't exist, Right? <laughs> So, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm still trying to impress her. I'm still trying to win her over. So I smile. I thank you for getting me these shoes. This is awesome. Um, and eventually I had to tell her, hey, these are fake. These aren't real. But you see, the, the gospel can be that same way. If we don't know the right gospel, if we're not familiar with it, then Satan can slide in and give us this false gospel that almost looks right. Almost looks right. And guess what? It's a great deal. It is. Because you can get everything you want, that's what they tell you, right now. You don't have to wait. But you have to be able to know what the true gospel is in order to point out the fake. Jot this reference down. You don't need to turn there. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, but false prophets are also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, meaning their, their, their senses, their feelings. They'll just go towards that. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. See, if I, if I wanted to destroy your religion, like the Judaizers, I would just act just like you, right? I would be 99.99% like you and have a small variation. And that's what Satan does. And what I imagine when I see like these, you know, satanic people, you know, they're, they're dressed in all black and they have you know, horns everywhere. And I, I, I can look at, I can think about Satan and he's probably like, they're ridiculous, because Satan would never wear horns. Satan would never have this tail to where we can point him out a mile away. Satan is right next to you, looking just like you, shoulder to shoulder with you. See, Satan's way smarter than we give him credit for. We're not going to easily be able to point him out. He's going to look just like us, but it's going to be 0.01% off, just enough to get you going down the wrong path And then by the time you know it, you're so far gone. We have to make sure that we have the right gospel. There's one way to ensure you have the right one. If you're a believer, sharing your testimony. Preaching the gospel. Preaching how God has worked in your life. How he's taken you from what you used to be. Changed your heart. Made you a new creation in Christ. And who you are now. That's what Paul did constantly. Acts 22, he was in front of the angry Jews, and they wanted to revile him. They wanted to kill him. And what did he do? He preached the gospel. Acts 26, he gets in front of King Agrippa, somebody that can easily do away with him right then. He's the king. What does Paul do? He preaches the gospel. 
preaches his testimony. That's what we need to do. And we need to know the gospel. And you might be saying, okay, what if I do get a false gospel? Like, what can I do? How, how do I point it out? I'll give you a tip. Just about every false gospel that you're going to get is going to say, do good. Try your hardest. Just be a good person. And that's false. That's a false gospel. But that's the one you're going to get the most. Most religions foundation is you just being a good person. But let me tell you two reasons why that doesn't work. One, that doesn't take care of all the sin and all the bad things that we have done. Remember, Jesus said he looks at our thought process. So not even talking about our actions, what happens up here? That's sinful. And if you think about a courtroom setting, if you go out and say, you know what, Judge, I, I, I stole a car, but this week I, I fed the homeless, um, I, I mowed my neighbor's lawn, I, I washed every person's car on my street, the judge is going to be like, who cares? You, you stole a car. That needs to be taken care of. I, good job, I guess, if you've done some good things, but this needs to be taken care of. And that's our life. We have a sin problem that needs to be taken care of. Us doing good works, that crushes all of the other religions because us doing good works doesn't take care of this in front of a holy and perfect God. Okay? The second part of it is, this is the question that I ask all the time if I'm encountering somebody that wants to talk about good works. When is it good enough? When, when am I good enough? Like, when do I get to say, cool, I've arrived I, I, I've, I've, I've met the threshold of good works. When does that end? And guess what? There's no answer. Just, just keep trying and you'll find out on the last day. I, I don't want to. I, I want to be sure right now. I want to be sure today. So we need to be saying Jesus saves in spite of us instead of Jesus saves because of us. Okay? Jesus saves in spite of us, meaning that in spite of all the bad that we've done, Jesus still saves instead of us saying, hey, Jesus saves because I'm a good investment. I did something to get his attention and make him want me. I'm a bad investment, horrible investment. But by the grace of God, he still is extending his grace to me through salvation. But again, we need to really know the gospel, know the true gospel in order to be able to know a false gospel when we see it. Let's get back to our text because we're going to talk a little bit about false brothers uh, that are within the church of Galatia. So back to verse 4, it says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, our freedom in Christ that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. What is that slavery? It's that impossible system of works-based righteousness. It's impossible. We can never get there. That's the slavery you're talking about. Verse 5 says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Paul is saying, I, that didn't stop me. Because they're bringing this in, because they're saying I need, it didn't stop my gospel presentation even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. For the church of Galatia, for you sitting here today, the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Back in 2011, um, 
I'm a big LeBron James fan. The people that have been in the bridge for years know that because Pastor PJ likes to make jokes about it. Uh, but it's true. He's the greatest player. Anyway, that's not my point here. I just wanted to state that on camera so he could hear it. Um, but anyway, so I'm a big, huge LeBron James fan. In 2011, LeBron James had not won a championship yet. And he was playing against the Dallas Mavericks. I'm from Dallas, Texas. He's playing against my hometown team. I'm not loyal to them. I like LeBron James. So I was rooting for LeBron to win his first championship. And I remember when the Mavericks won, I was sitting in my Dallas, downtown Dallas apartment, and I was crushed because I'm like, he was so close to getting his first championship, so close to getting this monkey off of his back of people saying he hadn't won a championship. He's good. He hadn't won a championship. So close, he didn't win. And I remember I was sitting there. I'm like, oh, why? And then not even 24 hours later, it popped in my head. Wait a minute. Dallas Mavericks won. I live less than a mile away from the arena. I've never been to a championship parade. I'm about to be the biggest Dallas Mavericks fan there is this week. And guess what? I did. I was down at the parade. I was shaking hands, high-fiving, chest-bumping, hugging, everything, celebrating the Dallas Mavericks championship as if I was their biggest fan. I compromised my loyalty. I don't care. LeBron, I'll be back tomorrow to cheer for you, but I'm about to, I'm about to have fun here with the Mavericks today because I've never been. I wanted a sports experience, right? I love sports. I wanted to experience a championship. I'm back to LeBron now. But during that moment, I was celebrating because it's not that big of a deal. But look, we can't compromise when it comes to the gospel because it's a big deal. It's the biggest deal that we have on this earth is the gospel. People downplay it, but it determines where we spend eternity. And we cannot compromise. And that's point number two for us is avoid compromising the gospel. Avoid compromising the gospel. That's what the Judaizers did. They went in right behind Paul. Paul would go plant a church. He would share the gospel with them. He would teach the gospel to them so that they knew the gospel. And then they would come in right behind Paul and say, but, 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 hey, just add a few things. This was their slogan, Acts 15, verse 1. Just write that down. I'll read it to you. This is what they would come in and say. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, the Christian brothers, this is what they would say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You can't be saved. Unless you're circumcised, unless you do works, you cannot be saved. Guess what? There's Judaizers within us, within our circles today. They're here. They don't call the name Judaizers, but they serve the same purpose. And many of them will come and say, you can't really trust this book. You know, a lot of this stuff was 2,000 years ago and beyond. Things have changed. You got to make some adjustments. So here's an updated version of the gospel. And guess what? It's based on my feelings and what I think is right. So take this updated version of the gospel, and it adds a few other elements to the one true gospel that we know. And in this world, it's like everybody just be whoever you want to be, and you'll get to heaven. All you got to do is love a little bit. You'll get to heaven. But be who you want to be. Don't be what what a book 2,000 years ago that was written 2,000 years ago is telling you to be. Be who you want to be. 
That's the updated gospel. That's a false gospel. Are there changes in culture? Sure. Absolutely. Are we, are we, do we deal with different things than they did 2,000 years ago? Absolutely. But guess what's still the same? This world is the same. The world is the world. Sin is sin. And God is God, whom we cannot stand in front of without a payment for our sins. That's exactly the same. That's exactly what the Bible points us to. So we need to have the then and there focus, not focused on what's happening today, what we're dealing with, focused on the, the, the macro issue of sin and how that needs to be dealt with in order for us to spend eternal life with God. You see, Satan wants us to, he wants us to lighten up, right? That's what a lot of people tell you. Hey, it doesn't need to be all that, right? Let's not talk about punishment. Let's not talk about hell. Right? Let's just talk about heaven and, you know, whatever. There's other places too, but let's not talk about hell. Satan wants us to lighten up the gospel, make it 99.99% and lower to distort it. And if we don't have an ultra clear definition of the gospel, it becomes like a game of telephone. You remember the game of telephone? Y'all still play that? Is that, is that happening now in the bridge? No? Maybe? Okay, whatever. You'll just listen to me then. Um, so the game of telephone, as you know, it starts on one side of the room. And then the, the, the funny part is, I don't even know if it's a game, but we just want to see what's going to come out on the other side of the room. But if we don't have an ultra clear view of the gospel, that's how it ends up. You have this side of the room over here starting the message. And it says, you know, I love the bridge ministry. And then it works through everybody here, everybody here, everybody here, everybody here. And then it gets over on this side of the room, and they're saying um, in and out double-doubles are awesome. You're like, what? How did you get that out of what I said over here? And I know that's a little extreme, but, but that's what happens with the gospel. When one person starts to lighten it up, then the next person lightens it up. The next person lightens it up. And you get something totally different over here. And we, as Christians, have a responsibility not to do that, to keep hold the gospel, to preserve the gospel. Don't take the easy way out. Pay attention and guard the gospel. God is going to bring somebody in front of you, could be tomorrow, could be tonight, could be this week, that needs to hear the gospel. He's, 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 he's worked on their heart enough. They need to hear the true gospel from you. And you need to accept that responsibility to give the true gospel. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's try to get there. I just want to talk a little bit about, again, what we're dealing with in regards to this world wanting to hear the true gospel. Verse 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They don't want to hear sound teaching anymore, but have itching ears. Itching ears is tell me something I want to hear. They will accumulate for themselves teachers, teachers to, to do what? To do what? To suit their passions. So people are going to start looking, and you know what's happening now. Just tell me what I want to hear. And whatever you want, if, if you tell me something I want to hear, that's the religion I want, as if everything is optional. That's what I want. Verse 5, excuse me, verse 4, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Verse 5, for Christians, as for you, Christians, believers, always be sober-minded, endure suffering 
Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So you liking or you agreeing with the gospel has zero to do with it being true or not. Zero. You get that a lot. I don't like, I don't like what the Bible has to say. It doesn't matter. If this is the truth, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. And it, it, it even, like, uh, yeah, it makes my, like, bones chill when I think about people that, that have the audacity to say, you know what, I don't like that. But yet they're depending on God to keep their heart beating. That has zero to do with you. But God is sustaining that. God is giving you breath in your lungs. Zero to do with you. But then you still say, well, I don't like that. I don't want to follow him. And then, and then you want, they want to say, I, I still want to go to heaven, though. If you don't like God's rules and, 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 and his responsibilities as he's given us today, what makes you think you're going to like it in heaven? Really? Do you think about that? Like, people, they, they shake their fist at God, but then yet want to spend eternity with them. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And we have to preach the gospel as it is. I mean, just look at Paul in, in, in Acts alone. Right after his conversion, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. You think Paul wanted to be like, you know what, forget that. I'll go find something else. I'm sure he wanted to with all of that, but he absolutely could not do that because he knew he had the one true gospel. So all of that was worth it. Paul couldn't stop. He could not stop because he knew he had the one true gospel. The one true gospel that you and I have today. The one gospel that you are hearing right now that we all need to respond to. And if you're saying, well, I, you know what, I, I'm not going to respond today, I'll respond tomorrow, that's a no. You're telling God, no, I'm not responding to your gospel if you're putting him on hold. So what I'm asking, what I'm begging for you to do, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm just, I want you to just think about and, and know and understand, every day you say no to the gospel, you're playing a risky game that you don't know when life is going to end, and you're going to meet God and say, well, I was going to do it tomorrow. He's going to say, no, you, I didn't give you tomorrow. I gave you plenty of opportunities. I gave you an opportunity on Sunday, August 2nd, when you heard the gospel loud and clear to respond to it, and you didn't do it. And August 3rd, you're sitting in front of me because you didn't respond in time. And now that eternal life looks a lot dark and it looks a lot like destruction because you haven't responded. Respond to the gospel and present it the right way. Let's go back to our text and round this out. Galatians 2, we're in verse 6 now. Verse 6 says, and from those who seem to be influential. Again, all of this is, is Paul being sarcastic. He's being very sarcastic here because the Judaizers are saying, Peter, James, and John, those are, the, those are the highest of the highest. Those are the elite. That's who we follow. That's who we listen to. Paul is an apostle, but they, they put Paul as inferior to them. Paul, as he'll say here, is like, I, I, don't, I don't care. Look, he, he says, what, what they were to me makes no difference. God shows no partiality. So not, I'm an apostle just like their apostle. I saw, the, I saw the risen Jesus Christ just like they had interactions with Jesus Christ. I'm not inferior to them. But if you want to say they're inferior, guess what? I, I'll give it to you. They're inferior. 
but I'm going to show you that they agree with me. You're inferior people, okay? He says, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. And James and Cephas, Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, there's that sarcasm again, here's your high and mighty, here's your three, guess who they agree with? Me, okay? So they perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we could go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So nothing added. Nothing added to the gospel. That was a big deal. That was a knockout punch for the Judaizers because the whole time they were saying, Go speak to Peter, James, and John. Go speak to Peter, James, and John. And Paul says, okay, you think they're high and mighty? I'm going to go speak to them, and they're going to affirm the same gospel that I'm giving. So the Judaizers wanted them to say, no, no, Paul, you need to add on circumcision, dietary laws, all the Mosaic laws. That's what they were banking on. Paul was saying, I got the true gospel. It's just Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Through his grace, we've been saved. That's it. Nothing extra. That's what Paul's going against. And the deciders in this case, not really, but the ones the Judaizers said, they sided with Paul. Judaizers were crushed. They had nothing to offer now. They put all their hopes in, hoping that they would say, those three would say, Paul, you're wrong. And they didn't. So they were crushed. This was a big deal. This was a big deal. If they would have sided with the Judaizers, that could have changed you know, the gospel message, because now you have Paul who's preaching the gospel to uncircumcised that's different from the gospel that's going out to the Jews. There's all this confusion, but nope, they said we side with Paul. So game over for the Judaizers. Verse 8 says that, that same gospel, right? He talks about that same gospel that, that Peter was using is the same one that Paul had. The same gospel that Peter preached on, Acts 2.41, to save 3,000 people is the same one that Paul was using is the same one that we are talking about today. We're entrusted with that same message. And we need, to, we need to grasp on tightly to that. We need to hold that responsibility and present the eternity-changing gospel. And that's point number three for us. That's our final point is present the one eternity-changing gospel. Eternity-changing gospel. Present the one eternity-changing gospel. 11 out of the 12 apostles they were martyred, crucified, stoned, you name it, because they knew they had the gospel that they had to present. It didn't matter what the rest of the world was saying. They had to present this gospel. And guess what? To, to add more to it, they didn't have to, really. If they were Jewish, they were all Jewish, right? So they were already God's chosen people. So why would I die for a message if I ultimately believe in what the Jews believe in, the laws, I'm already God's chosen race. Why would I need to present a gospel and get myself killed for it? Because they knew it was the one true gospel that they needed to present, the same one you and I have today. And you might not have 3,000 people that are sitting in front of you that are going to come to Christ like Peter did at Pentecost, but you have your own mission field. Every one of you, your friend circle, your neighborhood, your coworkers, that's your mission field. 
That's your mission field that God has for you to present the one true eternity changing gospel. We can't just keep it for ourselves. We are not allowed to keep the gospel for ourselves. That's not biblical. Okay? That's not what God calls us to do. Matthew 24, 14 through 30. You don't have to turn there. Just write it down. Um, but this is the parable of the talents. And to sum it up, the parable of the talents is there's these, these three servants that the master is leaving, and he gives one servant five talents. He gives one servant two talents. He gives the other one one. The one with five goes out and doubles his. The one with two goes out and doubles his. The one with one buries his because he's scared. He doesn't want to lose it. He doesn't trust that you know, his, his, the talents were given to him to go out and share and make more with it. So what, is, what, is, what does Jesus say in this for the ones that double theirs? It says, well done, good and faithful servant. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound what we would want to hear on Judgment Day when we're facing one-on-one with God? Well done, good and faithful servant. There it is. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So well done, good and faithful servant. Great job. Verse 21 and 23 say that. Verse 25, we get to the one that, that buried his. He hid his, his talents. He didn't share it with anybody. What does he say to him? Verse 25 says, so I was afraid and, when I, and went and hid your talents, master, in the ground. So here, here's the one that you gave me. I'm giving it back to you. But guess what his master said? You wicked and slothful servant. That's rough. You wicked and slothful servant. For everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Even what he has will be taken away. And verse 30 ends like this. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, because he didn't go out and share, he was cast in to darkness. So we, we have the gospel message. My question to you tonight is, what are you doing with it? You have the gospel message. What are you doing with it? So most of you know I, I lead the active ministry here at Compass, and I have one of my, one of my leaders has uh, an incredible testimony. And it's so awesome because it goes hand in hand with his ministry now, with, being, with that portion of Compass Active. But the high level of his testimony is he was living a sinful life, living for himself, right, like majority of America, going about things he wanted to do that made him happy. But he was broken. He was hurt, hurting inside. So he kept trying to do things that would make him temporarily happy. And 25 years ago now, he was working with a Christian in a bike shop. Didn't think much of it. Christian guy, they were good friends. So fast forward 15 years after they're working in the bike shop together, he's out training for a marathon. He's out for a run. That Christian brother that he was working with sees him on the, you know, running, working out. He's like, hey, what's going on? How you been? Let's get together sometime. Let's ride. 
well, the guy that's on my leadership team, he was like, whatever. Yeah, anyway. So then, you know, you tell him, yeah, 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 we'll do that. And then you never really do it. So that was that situation. But he was broken inside, you see. And that reminded him of Christ. And then six months later, he's still broken inside. And so he actually goes out and takes the guy upon working out, takes him up on it. So he goes out and works out with him. And the Christian is, guess what? Sharing the gospel, sharing the one true gospel. And my leader had glasses on at the time, big glasses. You couldn't see his eyes. The guy sharing the gospel was pouring the, the true gospel, the eternity changing gospel out to him. But he couldn't see how he was feeling. But guess what? My leader was broken. He was crying. Every word this Christian said to him hit home because he knew he needed Jesus Christ. He was hurting inside. The Christian, all he saw was a stone-faced guy that was like, yeah, 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 I heard that before, whatever. But he was broken inside. Got to the point where a little bit later in life, a few months down the road, he wanted to take his life. My leader wanted to take his life. He had five friends. He decided to call one. Guess which one that one was? The Christian. Because he knew he had a message, not that was going to make him feel better, but that was going to talk about true happiness, true peace, true joy in the midst of this life that's chaotic. So he called him up. And the Christian shared the gospel again. And the guy that's a leader in my ministry today says, I can't fight it anymore. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I'm going to turn from who I was and become who Jesus has designed and wants me to be. Wonderful testimony. But you see, he, didn't, he couldn't see what was going on behind those sunglasses, but the guy was broken. He just did what God had given him to do in sharing the gospel. And many of us have that same situation. We just don't know how God is working on somebody's heart. Why God has put somebody in front of you, which is there's a purpose for every person that's in front of you. You know that, right? Shake your heads at me. You know that, right? Every person that's put in front of you, there is a reason. And we need to start seeing souls better. And what I mean by that is seeing every person that you interact with, all of us in here today, in 100 years from now, we're going to be in one or two places, heaven or hell. That's it, one or two places. And the deciding factor there is this gospel message that I want you to make sure that you understand and respond to it. And if you responded to it with a yes, then you understand so you can go share it exactly how the Bible describes it. So if you look on the ground, like I had you do earlier, you probably can't see that white speck. It's gone. You might be able to squint and see it, but stay with me. You can't see it that clearly, right? Guys, that's how quickly our life is gone. It seems long. But in the grand scheme of things, eternity, remember all of the pavement that's in the United States of America and beyond, that's our life, that little speck that you can't even see right now, it's gone that quick. 
It could be tonight. It can be tomorrow. It could be in 10 years, but don't bank on that. The one way you know where this, this asphalt is either heaven or hell for you is through responding to the gospel message. That's it. That's it. True or false. That's why I titled it this way. True or false doesn't give you many categories. You either have it, 100%, or zero. No 99.99. So we got to know the gospel. You got to know it. Don't compromise. The world's going to give you so many reasons to compromise. Anything you can think about, the world is going to throw at you. And guess what? The world will tend to tailor it towards what your itching ears want to hear. They're not going to give you something that you don't want to hear. They're going to give you something that sounds 99.9% right. But you got to be able to know what the one true eternity-changing gospel is. And once you know that, you need to guard it. You need to respond to it so that you can have eternal life. It's the only way we can have it. You can have eternal life in heaven with God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this text. It's sometimes a challenging text to hear the gospel. We hear it all the time, Lord. But I pray tonight would be different. I pray tonight would be not because of any way I said it, but because of how you can work in the hearts of those that are here tonight. I pray that this would be a transforming message, that the gospel would ring louder than it's rung before. For, most importantly, for for those that have not responded to it, to respond tonight, not wait. This life is here and then gone. And Lord, so I pray that those that have not responded will respond tonight. And I pray that those that have responded, they would continue to study the gospel. They would continue to uh, memorize the gospel, preach the gospel, share their testimony, share how nothing but you, Lord, nothing but your grace, grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, it's only you, Lord. I pray that they would present that gospel as much as the world doesn't want to hear it. I pray that they would present that with boldness and with courage, knowing that if we do that, you will remain faithful to us and we can spend eternity with you. Pray that they keep the image of the little white speck amongst the the, the pavement that goes all across the United States. Our life is that small. So, Lord, while we're here, while we have another day to walk, while we have another day of breathing, help us be bold for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.